NYCapartmentZone.com. From New York City, this is the NYC Zone Teams Podcast. A show where we discuss everything about New York City real estate. And much more. You have questions, we have answers. And now, here are your hosts, John and Nikolai. This is another episode with the NYC Zone Team. We are here with a very special guest. His name is Mark Hakim, real estate attorney. Thank you so much for passing by. Um, of course, Nikolai, uh, co-founder of the NYC Zone Team. And, you know, we have a very special topic today. And it's one of those topics where a lot of people ask questions about and they kind of wonder, how in the world does it work? Why would I need an LLC? Why should I buy with, through a trust? Why should I should I just buy individually? Like, what is the difference? What is the benefits? Like, all that kind of stuff. So, maybe if you want to talk a little bit more about yourself, and uh, and then we could get right into it. First of all, thank you both for mm-hmm. having me here. Thank the folks over at your company. It's an excellent brokerage house. I will tell you that. Mm-hmm. I'm Mark Hakim, as you were nice enough to introduce. I have been practicing law, and I said this a moment ago, tw- almost twenty years now. I'm wow. with a firm of Schwartz, Slackis, Reich, Greenberg, Atlas. We are a full service firm with a specialty in real estate and the supports for that. For example, trust and estates, our corporate department, and we have a very good matrimonial practice, I guess with a nice umbrella of a litigation team behind it. So we have the supports in place and it's really a good place to practice from the standpoint of the interests of our clients. So, I thank you again for being here, and I'll. Uh, yeah, let's get started. So, I mean, let's let's first start off when 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 you're purchasing a home, right? You could you have different options, and what are those options when when you buy? You could buy by yourself. You could buy sure. You know, with an LLC. What are the options of, of buying real estate? So, well, for there's three different types of properties that we generally work with: standalone homes or residential, okay. co-ops and condominiums. Okay. And we can certainly get into each a little bit as it pertains to the type of ownership that you might take. Yep. But when you're buying property, just assuming you're going for the the, the, the vanilla property, mm-hmm. you have a choice of buying it in your own name. Yep. You can buy it in an entity, and the that, that affords you certain rights and responsibilities, protections, and what have you. Mm-hmm. For example, there are limited liability companies. Then you have corporations, there are different types of those, and you have trusts, and each one has its own advantages and disadvantages. And I do tell clients all the time, there's no one fit, there's no one size fits all. A 29-year-old buying a co-op apartment for themselves or buying residential property for themselves might need just putting it in their name. Someone who's a little bit older, maybe planning for their estate plan and you know, generations to come might consider a trust, for example, and in between there, if you're getting a rental property or you're looking for some other types of limited liability or perhaps even privacy, you may consider going with a limited liability company or a corporation. Okay. So let's start off with the first one. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you do a limited liability company, Mm -hmm. which is known as an LLC, just in case Mm -hmm. of anyone's wondering. An LLC uh, versus a corporation, which in corporations are C Corp and S Corp. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the difference? What what, what are the the advantages and disadvantages of, uh, of doing each one? Sure. So, limited liability company is an entity that was created by statute, and it allows an individual or multiple individuals to 
form this company and own the membership interest in there and though that company itself will own whatever it purports to own in this case we're talking about real estate it's an easier formation process than it is of a corporation and it allows you in certain circumstances to remain private now again you have many clients who come here to New York City and do not wish to purchase and have their names disclosed and there are ways now to do that although I will tell you the legislature is working towards eliminating that mm -hmm. however that being the case there are ways to still do that and protect the anonymity of the buyer it affords you protection so for example if you have a rental property I would tell everybody in the world at the very least you need a limited liability company and again I say at the least it could be a corporation either one they afford you protection and your liability is limited to your interest in the property whatever your interest is they cannot attach in most circumstances anything else you may own but I did mention before co-ops and condominiums right. before you buy in an LLC mm -hmm. and before you consider buying in a corporation or even a trust you need to make sure that the co-op or condominium board even allows it and we can get into in a few sure. moments yep. more issues on that so you have the limited liability company that's sort of the vehicle you see I would say 90% if not more of the time you almost do not see corporations buying um, co-ops or condominiums and I have a question sure so let's say I'm an investor I'm buying something to rent out I want to limit my liability mm -hmm. Um, does it make sense to every time open up an LLC for each different property that I buy or should I just buy them all under one LLC? Would that protect me or? You will get the protection no matter, from liability yeah. for you individually regardless of whether it's all under one umbrella or multiple. However, if you're trying to protect your assets and you put them all under one umbrella, you're yeah. going to find out that <laughs> If property A, someone slips and falls and comes after you, they will be able to go after B, C, and D underneath mm, your that umbrella. And I have to tell you, don't be penny wise, pound mm. foolish. As a buyer investor, you're looking for the long term. You want to protect your assets. At the same time, operate it as if you would normally operate it. But the last thing you should do is cut back on an incidental amount of cost relative to your purchase and not form uh, multiple LLCs each and every time. I, it's safer, tax purposes you can, I mean, either way that's irrelevant, but it's safer. Right. Let's, let's okay. go with that. Okay. That's a good point to know. And you know, what are the percentage, I mean, you said about more than 90% is purchased with an LLC for, for, for like investment and all that type mm -hmm. of stuff. Um, but have you seen instances with an S-Corp or C-Corp? I don't see S-Corps and C-Corps mm -hmm. very regularly or almost at all when it comes to co-ops. Mm -hmm. Now co-ops are managed by a board of directors and that board sets policy but it is based on the proprietary lease. Right. That's one of the governing instruments and the problem there is some don't allow ownership, well, we have to look at the bylaws as well, mm -hmm. some do not allow ownership by any form of entity, some allow it and it would be subject to the then board's decision to allow them. Mm -hmm. There'll be certain documents and guarantees that, that are executed in connection, but you will see trusts there and you will see LLCs, but very rarely in the context of co-ops will you see any types of corporations. And from time to time, you may see in a condominium those corporations buying it, albeit a company buying their uh, something for maybe their 
local affiliate here in New York or someone that might be traveling, they're going to use it as a pied de terre. Mm -hmm. That's where you might see it. But again, I would say the investment vehicle that most people go with these days would be the limited liability company as it pertains to buying and owning an entity and again, not planning for a state. The, and, and just, we keep mentioning S-Corps and C-Corps. You have the two different types. That C-Corp is the bigger, is the one, it's there. Uh, sorry, <laughs> something outside yeah, the window. Just had a rope hit the window, okay, interesting. <laughs> C-Corps are smaller, they're limited to 100 shareholders. Yeah. They cannot be owned by anybody who's a foreigner. Obviously a resident right. alien or U.S. citizen. They can own it, but so if you are, you're dealing with a foreign company, mm -hmm. they might be limited to the C corporation. If you're dealing with someone more local, again, and, and we have everybody here, mm -hmm. you would be dealing with an S corp, generally speaking. Now, it, there's also some tax considerations, and this is why people typically stay away from the corporation. C corp, you have a double level of taxation, yeah. and I know the codes have changed to make mm -hmm. it a little bit more favorable. Sure. On the S-Corp side, there are some pass-throughs, but then you have distribution issues, and then you have taxes based upon those distributions. They have to be in a proportionate amount. A limited liability company, the two of you could decide that you want to purchase a piece of property, have equal membership interest, mm -hmm. but you're the manager, but we're going to distribute it where you get 70% of the profits and you get 30, or vice versa. Again, mm -hmm. maybe somebody's putting in the sweat equity and mm -hmm. managing the property, so you're going to allow it. But the point is, there's a little bit more flexibility, and one of the biggest benefits and I tell people, always consult your accountant, no matter what, or one of our tax partners, but that being the case, you could have passed through taxation. It doesn't get cut taxed on a lim in a limited liability company mm -hmm. on the corporate level. Right. It goes, again, you have to make the election when you have multiple members, but it can pass right through without taxation twice. It's a big deal, you know, and, and oh, especially... Yeah. In real estate, if you're doing it as a rent, uh, residential rental, what, mm -hmm. you know, you're, I would presume your profits are not going to be uh, what Amazon has <laughs> year, <laughs> right. but not Amazon in Long Island City. Uh, right, right. So. Oh, that, that was too soon. So That makes sense. I guess we are seeing some of the positives. What are the negatives of having an LLC, or better yet, what's the drawback to having it? But before we get there, I, before we get to that question, I'm a little curious because I know you mentioned about for, uh, foreigners looking into. Um, they can't really do S corps more. They can do C corps, correct? That's correct. And how about for LLCs, though? There is no prohibition on that. Right now, obviously. There are some tax considerations and disregarded entities when you're selling, and it just means you might have withholding issues, right. but there isn't a restriction that says somebody who is not a resident alien or someone that's not a U.S. citizen can't own in a limited liability company. They certainly can, and they certainly do, and that's actually been a benefit to our great city, which is it allows foreigners to make investments in these wonderful buildings and apartments that otherwise they couldn't have done or may not have wanted to yeah. do individually for a multitude of reasons. Yeah. That makes sense. It does. Okay, so what was it your question again? The advantages? No, the disadvantages, disadvantages. the drawbacks of an LLC. So, so a limited life, first of all, there's always a startup cost. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, incidental, but when you're counting your nickels and dimes, especially in the onset, there's a... What's the ballpark, more or less? The biggest cost will be the advertising. 
so there's it's hundreds of dollars to form an LLC. But again, if you have a multiple member one, you're going to want the services of, say, one of our corporate partners who's going to help you draft the proper operating agreement between the yep. two of you, which is, in the, which is the management. It tells you who's managing, who owns what, Correct. how the dividends are. It is literally the Bible of its existence. Like a co-op has the, the, the proprietary lease and bylaws. No LLC, multiple member, operates without a, a, a good operating agreement. And unfortunately, people get a little penny wise, pound foolish there. Yep. They, when, when multiple people are looking to do it, they say, ah, I'll grab one off of a website or, or something. And again, I'm not saying that's not a good placeholder, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's something you should end up relying on totally. At some point in time, your interest may differ from yours, your style of management, your thoughts on where the product should go. You should have situations that talk about how to manage how to resolve disagreements amongst the partners, maybe buy and sell, they're called put in call options mm -hmm. for the members. So if you know something, you want out, this is not working, I, you, know, you don't want to be trapped. God forbid you passed away. You need to know what happens to your True. interest and who gets to do what, where, why, and when. It's, that's the importance of an operating agreement. But I did mention the biggest cost is the advertising. In order to have a valid Again, you can form it, you can do it. It's not a valid LLC in New York without the due advertising in, in, in various journals. I've seen costs run in the range of about $1,500 in the city of New York. It's cheaper as you go farther and farther away. So some people have their principal place of business elsewhere, but if you're doing it in the city of New York, Manhattan particularly, you're gonna see the range of between one and $2,000. But again, think about it. If you're spending $2,000, and that is a lot of money, I, again, I'm not, I don't count anyone else's pocketbook, but that is a lot of money. But if you're spending $2,000 to form a company, and then let's say legal services are a little bit more, at the end of the day, you're spending, let's call it 3000 start to finish, and it's less usually. Right. To protect, a, a, it could be a multiple million dollar investment sure. or a few hundred thousand dollar investment, I, I think, I think it's worth be the, pound that's foolish. a pretty good insurance policy. It is. <laughs> you know, when you when you buy a car, you kick the tires, but you get that you get an inspection. Of course, this is your version of that inspection, and it makes a lot of sense. It, it makes does. a lot of sense. Uh, quick question. So, yeah, but I do want to answer your downside in a moment. Yes. Um, we could answer that, and in regards to the the downside, what what other disadvantages are there? Management mm -hmm. you have to decide on management. Okay, and if you're mm -hmm. buying in a co-op or condominium, for example, mm -hmm. it's very simple. It could prohibit you from actually buying there or subject you to their additional requirements. Most buildings, I know we represent hundreds of co-ops and condominium boards in Manhattan mm -hmm. and the five boroughs, oh, the four other boroughs, um, you will see guarantees by an individual member. So while you may not have personal liability for anything related to maybe some, a slip and fall, but you have a guarantee of maintenance or common charges. Yep. I recall that. Yeah. You will also find them entering into, or requiring you rather, to enter into an agreement that says who's going to live there. They, meaning these buildings, want to know who their neighbors are. And again, they're not judging someone, but they don't want a turn style sure. of ownership, especially in light of everything now, also with Airbnb and all the requirements and short-term occupancies. But again, that's, I don't look at those as negatives. 
I, I, again, it is a negative as to the ownership, but it's a positive as to an investment value because you too don't want your neighbor having a turnstile of, of college students, for example, who might upset some other neighbors. Sure. And, and again, I'm not suggesting college students are bad, but <laughs> different point in lives, people look at products differently. And you certainly want to be careful about that. And I do think having a stable living environment also benefits. Okay. So let's say I have, I'm an investor. Mm -hmm. I live in Miami, right? I have an LLC there. I want to buy some property in New York City. Do I have to get an LLC here? Or do I, can I still use my same LLC down in Miami? My first question would be, is that LLC, well, does that LLC own anything else yet? Or has it just been formed and it's sitting there as sort of a right. shell ready to go and ready to jump on the next opportunity? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, it's, it's, right. it's a shell it's ready. ready. Okay, it's ready. You've got to apply to the state of New York mm -hmm. to, to be authorized to do business. Again, it's an application and there's some predicates to it. But it's, it's not overly cumbersome whatsoever. Right. But you have to do that. And look, could you buy here and not have done that? Sure. But the problem then becomes you're not legally here. You, you can't sue mm -hmm. your tenants. And let's just be clear. If you are buying a condominium, they're going, your title company is going to want to see your authority documents. You're going to want to see your... Uh, your articles of organization. They're going to want to see your operating room, but they're also going to want to see your your authority to do business in New York and a good standing here to make sure you're in good standing. You have the right to do what it is you're purporting to do. Now, it also does come in the context of suing a tenant. Sorry, right. that, that sometimes is the um, regrettable byproduct of ownership of any type of rental property. Sure. Mm -hmm. But it also comes hand in hand with selling a property. They're going to want to see that and make sure. And again, it's incidental. You have to file biennial statements regardless of where you are once you're here. So I, I tell people, why wouldn't you do it? Mm -hmm. Just people are not sometimes familiar. They haven't consulted a lawyer yeah. and they don't know. And there's any fees for doing that? There are. They're the standard application fees and what mm -hmm. have you. But again, incidental or insignificant relative to anything. It's certainly well less mm -hmm. than the few thousand I mentioned before. Right. Again, whatever New York State charges, whatever the processing fee is, mm -hmm. and, and that that's really it. Right. Because, yeah, I, I understand, like, this whole rules about advertising, which is about $1,500, if people are trying to avoid that, because I'm sure everyone's trying to save a buck here and there, yeah, yeah. Um, and some of our listeners are all, pretty much all over the world. So, I mean, if they had an LLC from a different state and mm -hmm. they wanted to invest in New York City or New York or whatever in a different state, they would have to apply, at least here. Um, saying that they're bringing this LLC from this state, they're doing business over here, mm -hmm. and you're saying that the fees in, that are for this type of application are way lower than if you were to... Because you've already formed. Right. Again, you're still going to have to... There are still some minimum requirements. Sure. But again, I represented a lender recently, right. and they're putting out a loan to an owner of two different properties. One was in Yonkers. I'm sorry, Staten Island, and one was in Queens. Again, two different properties, but one of the entities, two different entities, was not authorized to do business. It was a Delaware company, not authorized to do business here. And I said, stop, let's get them authorized. And it was a simple process. It took a few days. There's expedited services. Mm -hmm. It can be done 
And, and again, there are services online that I would say, if you are cost conscious, mm -hmm. go and use them. Be my guest. Don't cut corners where it counts. I tell people, hire the right professionals, hire the right agents. When you're looking to market, sell, or buy a property, hire the right lawyers for the right transactions. And again, I'm always mindful of, of clients and their needs because I certainly don't want to run up their dime. And I say that the same thing for accountants or anything. Sure. The right people for the right job. You don't. You can. You can get yourself authorized to do business in New York. But again, when it comes to the operating agreement, if you haven't done one yet. Hire the right person. A single member LLC, you can use a general form. You're the sole member. You're it. That's that's okay. The good minute point. you get to two or more, please do the right thing. And uh, I feel like kind of piggybacking off you, what you said, hiring the right people will do two things for you. Save you headache down the line mm -hmm. and potentially save you money, which you know kind of comes hand in hand here. It's a good point. And how many people get wills that are not done correctly, but here's the downside. Oh, the upside for them, they'll never know they weren't done correctly. Right? I mean, again, people don't realize that what they don't have until they, they realize it. Yep. And I know that sounds circular, <laughs> but if you think about it, how many times in your career have you gotten a phone call from someone who said, I wish I had just stayed with you, I'm sorry, or you know, can you help me, or what have you. I yep. cannot tell you I, more than I can count on my hand and your hands together. And I'm always there, and I, as you both are. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, it's, I say, don't be penny-wise, pal. I'm not suggesting $1,000 versus 10000 No, of course. You know, but again, if you're in the price range, let's not start off with the question of what does it cost, what are the services, and why. And then we can work backwards. And again, that's not a sales pitch here. That's for across the board. I did say, use an online service if you want for the filing and all of that. You could save some fees. Be my guest. But when it comes to the meat and potatoes of the of what it is you're doing, albeit a contract of sale, a trust agreement, a will, which is not, I, I don't even do that. We have mm -hmm. others that do that. Mm -hmm. Do the right thing, let's not be uh, silly. I agree 100%. Yeah. Um, and kind of just going, continuing forward with LLCs, corporations, you mm -hmm. said the other one was trust. Right, yes. Right, so let's start off like with what is a trust? Sure, a trust is a vehicle. It, 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 <laughs> a trust is a vehicle by which you put your property into it. Mm -hmm. You are, stepping back from control of it mm -hmm. or possibly control but that, that we'll get into that so it's an um, so a limited liability company you were, you retain control and ownership you're involved a same mm -hmm. thing with a corporation but again the boards or or the managing members a trust is an is a a, a um, I don't want to call it fiction but it's a it's an mm -hmm. entity you put it into often used for the purpose of estate planning the minute you put property into a trust you have then stepped away from it. It is no longer part of your estate. That's one of the biggest reasons you will see it. You will see that, especially when you're in part of your estate plan, maybe you have children or, and you, or even charitable donations, it comes out of your estate. And one of the reasons you like to see that is taxation, the death tax. Even you may, perhaps you're going over the, 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 the applicable limits yeah. or threshold, in which case then you're going to be hit with whatever the then tax rate is. So a lot of people, as I said, particularly um, those in the estate planning stage of their lives, will place their real property. You could call it a land trust if you want or not. It doesn't matter. It's a trust which is holding your property. You've designated a party, a trustee, to manage that property and dispose of it solely in accordance with the terms of that instrument, the trust agreement. 
Now, why do I? Why am I very particular about that? Simply put, you really have no control once you've done that. So you have to be careful what you put in there. If you're setting it up as a supplemental needs trust for someone that needs it, you're going to want to have thresholds of income coming out of it. If you're setting it up for your children, maybe the trustee manages that property and can dispose of it and replace it, but your children wouldn't get it until a certain age. But the point is you are being very clear and that's it. You can't whisper later down the road, well, I, I want it back unless you carve that right. There are revocable trusts and irrevocable. Once it's revocable, it can come back and you'll see those under some circumstances. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and again, there, there are certain planning, uh, there are certain tax benefits to doing that. Mm -hmm. On the irrevocable ones, that's where you're pulling it out of your estate primarily, in which case, like I said before, your children or somebody else that you intend to get that will get that pursuant to that. Okay, and if it was an income generating, mm -hmm. let's say a unit, building, retail, mm -hmm. whatever, commercial, according to the rules of the trust that was put together, almost mm -hmm. similar to an operating agreement, sure. right? Is the payouts would be accordingly and the trust would write right so you have a trust we'll call it the abc trust and it owns rockefeller center right that generates income or at least i would hope that rockefeller center <laughs> would generate income I, I don't judge and i haven't i'm like you know and just like trump's tax returns i haven't seen them um, but okay, right. you know, I, again I that's it. not a political statement right right but um yeah, the income would be distributed solely in accordance, if at all. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there is no distribution of income. It stays in there and builds until there's a triggering event. And again, I don't know. Imagine you set up that trust and you have children who are minors. Mm -hmm. And again, it's a property. It's income generating. And, and you were, and we'll use the lightning example. It always seems far-fetched. You were struck by lightning. And your children would be the beneficiaries of that trust, again, presuming that's the way it was drafted. The real estate is spewing off this income and it's being managed by the person or persons or company you've designated to do that. It should be someone you trust because they're going to have, there are discretionary powers that every trustee gets. And again, that could, and I'll get into that in just a moment. So it would say the children can use it for weddings and other life events to purchase real estate for themselves or they can't use it for anything and or they can use it for those things but at age 18 27 and 35 and again I'm throwing mm -hmm. out random numbers right there are distributions to be made I always say when people do that push it as far out children don't need it when they're 18 but that's a whole <laughs> other issue right but um, so, so that's that would be that and um, I'm I see that some co-ops actually are more are more likely to accept a trust than an LLC. Is that correct? Do you see that as well? So a trust generally, especially when it comes to residential real estate, you often find that it's more in line to stay within the family. It's per The purpose of it is for testamentary reasons. So you are transmitting that property down the road or you know, it, it's, it's yep. intended to flow that way, which is good because then you have the ability to again demand that guarantee you'll get the guarantee of the the grantor of that trust which is so if i mark hakeem had an apartment and i wanted to leave it to my children as part of this trust i would say it's the mark hakeem trust mm -hmm. whatever real estate trust 
my children are the beneficiaries. I can, in this document, it will say I can use and occupy this property for as long as I wish, but not to exceed, obviously, my, my lifespan. As long as the board was agreeable to that, meaning the concept of a trust ownership, they would have me sign those documents. Again, I'm going to live there. I'm still guaranteeing it. But for the purposes of my estate, it's now out. Mm-hmm. It's a great tool. And the city of New York has recently recognized that trusts do own. So some of the tax abatements that are not available to a corporation or LLC do flow to trust. And that's the co-op condo annual tax abatement. So originally when, it, when, when they started permitting these to own, you found yourself in a situation going, wait a minute, I have to pay what come mm-hmm. June, July, or August when the, everyone gets either, you know, what happens sometimes is they'll give back the money, but I'm sorry, they'll credit your account, but then simultaneously assess to get it back as a way of generating money for the co-op, but mm-hmm. without you feeling anything out of your pocket. But those people who are not entitled to it just have to write a check. They have no offsetting credit. The city has come down on this, not come down, has advised and it's permitted that you can still be entitled to that abatement as long as it's your primary residence. That is not the case in other entities. And that's one of the disadvantages of other entities owning. But again, if you're a foreign, you're someone that's not a U.S. citizen or a resident alien and you want to own an a, a, a an apartment in New York, you may not be entitled to it anyway, so an LLC would still be your preferred choice. But on the other hand, the whole concept of the trust is really more intended for something closer to the vest and intended for family transfers, at least in that context. Makes sense. Interesting. And let's say, for example, um, this residential property, real property, for some reason is going underwater. Mm-hmm. More you just can't be paid. Mm-hmm. It's just... The bank is going to take it away. Mm-hmm. What happens then? Yeah, okay, that's a good question, and I and I didn't even you asked about it, disadvantages, <laughs> and, I, and this will tie right into that. We can keep coming back to disadvantages. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's not a disadvantage. It's just something, and I tell clients this all the time. It's it's not a bad or good thing. It's a thing, and you need to know. So once you are armed with all that information, you will know how to make the best decision. It, yeah. it, for better or worse, that's your decision. Many banks have limitations on the ability to lend or won't lend to entity ownerships. Some will make those exceptions and you'll see it in the trust situation with the guarantees sometimes, limited liability sometimes, it gets more and more difficult when you get to the corporate status. And some lenders have restrictions or if they don't have restrictions and allow the lending, they may have lower loan to value amounts so you get less of a loan. So you need to check all of that, when, that's residential. When it comes to commercial, I mean, the, the, it's very rare you will ever see an individual owner property unless it's been in the family for 80 years and they're finally pulling it out. But these days, nobody does that. And lenders are very, very sophisticated and aware. But residential lenders have these specific guidelines and sometimes can't do it. Um, and your question is what happens when you're underwater? Mm-hmm. Well, if, you're, if you own the property, in your own name, you're out of luck. They're gonna come after you, but they won't go after you day one. They're going to look to what their property is worth. If they do sell it in foreclosure, and mind you, they're running up costs and fees as they are evaluating this. It doesn't mm-hmm. come free. And if they sell the property for this, but you owed this, mm-hmm. 
that's you're going to get that surplus. You, the borrower, will get that surplus. If they sell it here, but the, the loan was up here, so you're upside down it's in that loan, yeah. it would be a short sale and you will be responsible for that deficiency and they're entitled to come after you, generally speaking, on the loan documents. But I will say, any lender worth their salt is not going, they're going to have some type of personal guarantee from somebody. So even if the entity, the owner of that property is not personally liable, there's going to be someone somewhere. They generally don't take loans that are not recourse to somebody somebody's going to be in the residential realm. Right. Again, commercial lenders are more sophisticated and if there's enough equity day one, they're going to probably, they, they, again, and depending on the borrower, the structure, the, the property, a right. multitude of different factors will determine whether or not they take a, a personal guarantee or a limited one or a good guy guarantee. But in the residential realm, you're going to find yourself on the hook for something at some point. It's very rare that they wouldn't do that. Okay. But liability trips and falls Lawsuits, that's one of the main reasons people do entity ownership, especially the limited liability company. Mm -hmm. I walk into your property and I trip on that obvious defect in your living room, break my knee, I, I might be suing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, and if you are a limited liability company, mm -hmm. your liability is limited solely to your interest in that company. Whatever value that company has in, in assets and your percentage of it, that's your liability. Your other assets, generally speaking, cannot be attached. And that's the benefit. If, some, if you own it in your own name and that happens, you're going to be on the hook. You may have some type of homeowner's or liability insurance. And by the way, everybody who buys property should have it. I cannot tell you right. how many times I get a phone call where there's been damage, water from upstairs, or they caused water damage, and I say, not a problem send me over your policy. Let's take a look to see what we can do and how we get around or what, what's needed to be done. And they say, oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I never got around to getting that. I never allow a, a client of mine to close without it. Even if it's not mandated by the, the, the right. building, I say for an incidental cost, you are buying yourself comfort. You know you can Very go true. to sleep at night and if yep. somebody upstairs leaves a, a faucet on, yes, you can sue them. Let your insurance company. But what if you walk out of the house and leave a faucet on? You didn't realize it. It broke. It flooded. You cost $72,000 to the rest of the building. You don't have anybody on the hook. All because you didn't want to spend a few hundred dollars annually. So I, I, I tell you that. But that's in the context of personal ownership and liability. But regrettably, even when you have insurance, every policy has that little fine print, there are exclusions, there are limitations, there are deductibles. There's a million and one reasons an insurance company will look to get out of it. And again, I'm not judging them, it's right. just what's set forth in the, in the policy. Mm -hmm. But again, it's a good comfort to have. Sure, I agree with you 100%. So if somebody wanted to put together a trust, mm -hmm. will, will they, will, an attorney, mm -hmm. in this case, you, would be able to go through each scenario mm -hmm. to kind of like finalize a trust for whatever property they want to attach it to. Sure. Now, trusts, mind you, you often see multiple properties. You don't see individual properties for each. But again, I tell people each needs are different. There's no one size fits all here. Sure. In, the, in, the, in the instance of a trust, you're going to want to know the grantor's intention. You want to know what their 
family line is. What, where, what are they doing with this property? What's the purpose of it? Again, if it's to take it out of the estate, still use it and, and make sure my children get it, great. Because again, in the take it away from the trust, that's what you do with a will. The will is intended to dispose of your assets when you are no longer on this planet. Mm -hmm. And a trust is intended for that same thing at the end of the day, but it also governs the use today. So you would want to know that, who their beneficiaries are, who the trustees are, who the successor trustees are. And that's important because you know, people sometimes don't want to do it. It's a lot of work. You are entitled to some statutory fees or they set forth more. But again, it's a lot of work, or, or maybe you've moved out, or maybe you have left the earth, in which case you want to know what that succession would be, and, and, and why, and who, where, what, and why. So I'm curious, what are the timelines for creation of a trust, and while we're in a topic of timelines, what are the timelines for all the other entities, more or less? You, you can create an LLC in a matter of days. There are expedited services. Corporations a little bit longer, a little bit more costly, and trusts, the reason a trust takes a long time, it's not because we can't create the trust. It's that there's a lot that you need to supply, you need to consider, and you need to be thinking about because you're disposing of it completely outside of you. Once, it, once it's gone, unless it's revocable, it's gone. In which case, if you think about it, it's important because an LLC or a corporation, if you make the mistake, sure, you could always transfer it back and there might be tax consequences or other ones, but it can be done. Can, things can be undone. I mean, I'm not saying it's easy or automatic, but things can be undone. Once it's in a trust, an, an irrevocable trust, mm -hmm. you are out of luck. That trust will govern. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a will in, in court, in which case they look at it and say, I don't care what the intention was. It says right here, Mr. X is getting it or Mrs. X is getting it. I know he promised it to you. It's right here. And that's why I say it. So a trust takes more time because you're sitting with the client and understanding what, where, why, and how. An LLC or a corporation, the formation's easy. Mm -hmm. What and how you're transferring. A co-op will take as long at that point, presuming the co-op approves it. Mm -hmm. You have to surrender the stock and lease. If there's financing already on the apartment, you have to get the consent of the lender or pay off that loan so they can deliver the stock and lease back. And then you're subject to the time frames and requirements of the co-op's transfer agent. In a condominium, again, presuming they allow it, it's a little bit more uh, expeditious than you would find in a co-op situation. And again, making sure that the board has the right, you have the right to do it. Once that's done, you get a waiver. And I would say, in a, in a condominium, it's under 30 days. In a co-op, again, you're at their whim and it would depend on the financing, but you would certainly 30 to 60 days is not unheard of. It's similar to a purchase application because they want to see everything. They want to know everything and they have a right to do so. Uh, and, and time frames get a little bit shorter on the, if it's a standalone residential house. Sure. Perfect. Um, I think uh, you have any additional questions? Uh, maybe since we're on the topic of like ownership and stuff, uh, I know that sometimes, let's say, when two people purchase a property, mm -hmm. they have different ways. Let's say if one passes away, that automatically the other person becomes hundred percent owner. Mm -hmm. Do you mind elaborating since we're on the topic of uh, oh no, ownership? no no not at all. So before nineteen ninety six, and we run into this a lot. Married individuals could not hold 
title to a stock certificate, and that's important for the co-op realm a certain way. So uh, I'm going to explain why that's important. You have three different types of ownership. You have joint, I'm sorry, you have tenants in common, meaning two people own it, and if one passes, it goes down through their estate, and the disposition is determined by their will or by the court if they don't have a will. Yep. That's tenants in common. Joint tenants means if the two of you own property, joint tenants with the right of survivorship, mm -hmm. and something were to happen to you, unfortunately, you've already decided at the time that you bought or acquired that property to put it in title that he would get it. Okay. And you see that a lot in, in, in you saw that before the legalization of same-sex marriages, you would see that a lot in, in domestic partnerships and what have you. Mm -hmm. and, and, and certain family members or, or life partners, you'd see that, or for other reasons. And then you have tenants uh, by the entirety. That's when a couple is married, remain married, and upon the death of the spouse, it automatically transfers by virtue of law to the surviving spouse. The good things about each one, anytime you have a survival, it takes it not out of the, it, it takes it from the estate. It goes automatically right there. It's a lot easier in the way of a disposition. You needn't have a full probate proceeding. Mm -hmm. And that's important because when you transfer property, particularly, actually when you transfer any property, a title company, a co-op, or a condominium, or they're going to want to see a death certificate, the various letters of either administration or testamentary, mm -hmm. a will, they're going to want to see some probate materials, and certain affidavits. And some of those take quite a long time, especially the letters and disposing of the property. So that could take time. If there's a joint survival provision, you'll find yourself in a much more expeditious process, especially if someone's looking to sell the property at that point. Now, the, the issue arises a lot in the co-op realm is that before 1996, you were not allowed to own, or there was no provision to own a stock in a cooperative corporation as tenants by the entirety. Yet many husbands and wives, but many practitioners were unaware of that because again, you don't own real property per se. In a co-op, you own the shares of the corporation that own yep. the building, and you're given this lease, a proprietary lease to reside in the apartment and to use it and occupy it. And there are restrictions, there are requirements, but imagine you find yourself having been married before 1996, you go through 40 years and then your spouse passes away and you didn't have it as tenants by the entirety. You need a full will. Wow. You need the whole probate. There's no expeditious project product. What if that person died 40 years ago and you continue to live there? Now you have to go back in time and, and reproduce everything. And it's yep. become some issues. So we do, from time to time, recommend that our co-ops, especially the ones where the community's aging a bit, notify all the shareholders of this and make provisions now. And so you can change it, basically? With the consent of the co-op, you can. With the board, right? Because okay. you can't just make a unilateral change to any stock certificate. What if it's a condo? Can you change it like halfway through? or? The, you would have to file a new deed okay. just designating the survivorship. And again, that's more simple. Now, again, anytime you change a deed and you have financing, or you, you technically, if it's material, the mm -hmm. lender would want to know. But in this situation, you're just changing how the survivorship right. would be affected. And I would say it's an immaterial or uh, it doesn't rise to the level of materiality that would require a lender's approval. But you should check your loan documents anyway. Right. But it's a good question because 
if you if but if you were married at the time, the presumption is joint tenants. I'm sorry, is tenants by the entirety. So that's a presumption. You'd have to dispel that presumption with something more. But if it's just two individuals without any type of uh, uh, notation on the stock or a lease or the the um, deed, again, unmarried individuals and not domestic legal domestic partners, you'd find yourself in a situation where it will have to go through your estate. And it, again, that's something. It's so it's so minor. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to miss. And it's so big when the issue, when the time comes. Of course, of course. Yeah. So what if what if you know you're not married? You mm-hmm. buy a property mm-hmm. on your own. Five years later, you get married. You pass away. Two years later, whatever you're, you were still married. What happens to that property that you owned? That property is still in your individual estate. Right. Generally, not considered marital. Assets or property. Now there so are it was acquired before. That is correct. Mm-hmm. And and again, there are exceptions, and I certainly would defer to our matrimonial department right. for that, and you know, prenups and postnups and, mm-hmm. and all of that. But I would say, generally speaking, that will run with the decedent's estate. It mm-hmm. doesn't automatically vest. It's not marital property. However, some of the exceptions are if the spouse was providing services or and substantially increased the value or was making payments they could at least make a claim for some of the equity but it would still be a fight because it really does not automatically transfer to the surviving spouse though you could do something affirmative to do so Mm -hmm. you you know again if you bought it a condominium and it's in your name you are later married and you add her name to the deed, and again, you add your joint, your surviving spouse, mm-hmm. uh, or she is upon, or he is upon your your uh, your passing. They would then get that property if you so end that at that time. I'm not going to get into gift tax issues or anything right, like that. Right, right. But, you know that that would be a way to handle that at that time. Okay, makes sense. I think this was super helpful. Yes. Um, thank you so much, this Mark. This was amazing. And uh, just in case, uh, I know you put it out on the board, but for the people that are listening, mm-hmm. what's the best way for them to contact you and your firm if they were to have further questions? Sure. If you want to reach me, my phone number, my direct dial is 212-743-7170 or email me at any time. I, I generally have my phone with me everywhere I go. It's m-h-a-k-i-m at s-s-r-g-a dot com. Beautiful. Fantastic. Thank you so much for passing thank by. Thank you for Mark. joining us. And, and thank of course, you for no, of course. Me. Thank you for passing by. Thank you guys. Uh, reach out to Mark if you have any questions in regards to this. And um, of course, you can always find all our episodes on our iTunes. We're now recently on Spotify, so that's actually a pretty cool thing. And um, of course, if you have any questions, reach out to us at zone at nyczoneteam.com. Or you can also go to our website, check it out, nycapartmentzone.com. All right, everyone. And of course, if you guys have any sort of ideas of new uh, podcast ideas, reach out to us, let us know. We'll do our best to get someone, a professional in here to discuss. All right, to the next one, everyone. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. NYC Apartment Zone, nycapartmentzone.com.